the Jets come oh so close to pulling off a major upset. We'll talk about it on today's episode of the Locked On Jets podcast. You are Locked On Jets, your daily New York Jets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the Locked On Jets podcast for Monday, January 3rd, 2022, our first show of the new year. I'm your host, John B. from gangreennation.com. Hope you had a very happy new year and a very good weekend. Today we are here to recap yesterday's game between the Jets and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tampa Bay beat the Jets 28-24. To me, this is the type of game that shows you the difference between using your head and using your heart as a fan. Because using my head, thinking about this after the game ended yesterday, I could not have asked the Jets to give me more. That team was really undermanned. It was a bunch of backups. It was a bunch of practice squad level players. And they stood toe-to-toe with the defending Super Bowl champions. They were right there. They had every opportunity to win this game. If you told me that crew on the field yesterday was going to take a 24-10 lead, if you told me that they'd have the lead in the last minute, I would have signed up for it. I would have taken my chances. Tremendous fight by the Jets yesterday. It was a really impressive performance. I, I was really pleased. This is the type of game I was hoping to see all season long. Even when you're losing, you're punching above your weight class, you're showing that kind of fight. It's the type of thing that's been lacking. And this is different than like losing a game against a mediocre team like a Miami or a Philadelphia or a New Orleans. Even though those teams are a little bit better, those teams are beatable. Tampa Bay is a tougher team. I'm not going to get on the Jets for losing this game. On the other hand, and using my heart, I look at what some of my expectations were preseason. I think many of us unofficially put the measure for success as five wins. This would have been win number five. This would have been two wins in a row. It would have shown the Jets were peaking at the right time. This would have given the Jets a four and five home record, which is pretty solid considering the year they came off in 2020. And this would have given the Jets a third win against the division champion, showing that they could punch above their weight class consistently. So, I have to be honest with you, the way the game played out, I had no business being as upset as I was after the game, but I was upset. Because it was so close. Those goals, those achievements were so close for the Jets, and they just were not able to get it there. Oh, and it would have been a heck of a win. To me, this would have been... A statement win, the type of win that really could have launched the Salah-Wilson era, the type of win that would give this team a lot of momentum and confidence heading into the offseason. But it was just not meant to be. And I cannot get too upset with these guys because this was the type of performance I've been looking for all season long. When the Jets are punching above their weight class, even if they're not winning, they're giving the other team all they can handle. This is the team I wanted the Jets to be all season long. And there was another very positive development from yesterday's game. And that was the play of Zach Wilson, who I thought played great. And I thought for the first time really looked comfortable in the pocket as an NFL quarterback. We'll talk about that later. The game began with the Jets receiving the opening kickoff. They went right down the field in six plays. The key play was a Michael Carter 55-yard run. Moved the ball to the Tampa Bay 12. The Jets scored a couple plays later. A very good play call by Michael LaFleur. A direct snap to Carter. He then flipped it to Barrio, Braxton Barrios on an end around that kind of looked like it was a Philly special play where maybe Barrios was set to throw it to Zach Wilson, but Barrios had an open lane in front of him and he took it to the end zone for a 
that's a touchdown. The Jets were up 7 nothing. The Buccaneers matched with a touchdown of their own, a 13-play drive on their first offensive series. One of the key plays was Tom Brady hitting Le'Veon Bell, our old friend, on 3rd and 6 to move the chains 15 yards against Quincy Williams in coverage. This set up a Mike Evans 4-yard touchdown reception from Brady. Bryce Hall in coverage. The game was tied. However, the Jets put together a 13-play touchdown drive to answer. This score was a Braxton Berrios reception on a 3rd and 4 Speed out from the slant, uh, speed out from the slot. Wilson threw a great th- ball. Barrios was kind of covered, and Wilson just threw it with pinpoint accuracy, the right amount of zip. And what's got I mean, what's gotten into Braxton Barrios these last couple weeks? I guess he's listening to my early season podcast for motivation because he's been great the last couple weeks. And Barrios had the second touchdown of the game. The Jets were up 14-7, and then the defense actually started getting some stops in this game, which was surprising to me. I was kind of figuring the defense would let up and Tampa Bay would take control in the first half. But on the Bucks' next series, they were held to a field goal, so it was 14-10. The teams then traded a couple punts. The Bucks got the ball back with less than a minute left in the first half. They were down 14-10, and Brendan Eccles picked off a pass. Brady kind of underthrew Mike Evans. Eccles picked it off. The Jets got the ball back with 16 seconds, and they were aggressive. Zach Wilson hit Ty Johnson. Johnson had a nice run to get the Jets into field goal range. And my new favorite player, Eddie Pinheiro, hit a 51-yard field goal right before the end of the half. So the Jets went to halftime up 17-10. to And Eddie Pinheiro, again, delivering. It shows you. And this is something maybe Joe Douglas should learn. 51-yard field goal. It shows you. Even on long field goals, leg strength is not necessarily everything. So the Jets were up 14-10 to heading to the half. And it looked like early in the second half, they were on the verge of taking complete control of the game. Because they got a stop with on Tampa Bay's first series. And then they took the ball, went right down the field in nine plays. Capped by a Ty Johnson one-yard touchdown run. The Jets were up 24-10 in this game. And this next series I thought was a key series. And there was one sequence in particular that, that really stuck out to me. Because the Jets were up 24-10. to And they had Tampa Bay third and 20 on their own 15. And they allowed a 20-yard completion. And I felt like that was very ominous because the Jets were on, on the verge of blowing the Buccaneers out. If they get a stop there, the Buccaneers have to punt from deep in their own territory. The Jets' offense has momentum. They're on the verge of going up three scores. However, Tampa Bay hit that third and 20. They hit another third down play a little bit later. And then on fourth and goal from the four, the Bucks went for it. Cameron Brate hauled in a pass from Brady into coverage. A perfect pass by Brady, and the Bucks were within seven. And by the way, and obviously if you watch the game, you know this. At some point during the sequence, Antonio Brown, who had been playing for the Buccaneers, ran off the field at MetLife Stadium and into the tunnel, and he was not wearing his jersey, he was not wearing his shoulder pads, he was not even wearing a shirt. When the camera went to him, and apparently this is the same thing security thought, I thought it was a fan who ran onto the field. I did not think it was Antonio Brown. But Antonio Brown left, and he apparently is no longer a member of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, so perhaps the Jets are an answer to a trivia question now. Who was the team Antonio Brown did that against? Anyway, these teams traded a number of punts. The Buccaneers got a field goal to cut it to 24-20 with around seven and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter. The Jets then put together an 11-play drive, and it ended up... In a key sequence, on 4th and 2 from the Tampa Bay 7, the Jets are up 24-20 to with just over 2 minutes left. 
they decide to go for it, and they have some issues getting the play in. They have to call a timeout. And then fourth and two, Zach Wilson tries to sneak it, which really did not make much sense at the time. And at the time, I was very upset with Mike LaFleur. We found out a little bit more about what happened after the game, but we'll get to that later. The Buccaneers got the ball back, and as has, we've seen so many times through the years, Tom Brady, in a late afternoon in the Meadowlands, fourth quarter, down a score, needing a touchdown to win the game. How many times have we seen it? How many times have we seen Brady come through? In nine plays, the Buccaneers go 93 yards down the field. And at the beginning of the drive, it seemed like the Jets were doing pretty well. The Bucs were out of timeouts. Even though Brady was completing passes, they were short passes. They were time-consuming. Jets were keeping guys in bounds, tackling well. But things kind of fell apart near the end. The key play, of course, Cyril Grayson catching a 33-yard touchdown from Brady. Elijah Riley was a little late to get over in coverage. The Buccaneers had the lead. Then up 26-24, to 24, they went for two, which was a bit of an odd decision. And the only thing I could even come up with, and I know like if you hit the two-point conversion, then a field goal is meaningless, then the other team needs a touchdown. But if you miss the two-point conversion, a field goal beats you. Whereas if you just kick the extra point, a field goal uh, ties it. The only thing I could even think of, and I tried to figure out what Bruce Arians' rationale was by digging up some quotes from his post-game press conference, but all anybody wanted to talk about, understandably, was Antonio Brown. All I could think about is maybe he wanted to avoid a blocked extra point because if you block an extra point and run it back the other way, it's two points, and that would have tied. Maybe that's what he wanted to do. At any rate, the Buccaneers converted the two-point conversion on the Le'Veon Bell run up the middle, and the conservative nature of that play call is also one of the things that gives me the theory that Arians just did not want to play where the Jets were able to run back, run it back the other way for two points in the tie. And by that point, the Jets only had 10 seconds or so, and the clock ran out. Tampa Bay was on its way to a victory, and the Jets fall to 4-12. and 12. Now, there was one very controversial decision for the Jets in this game. We're going to talk about that ahead here on the Locked On Jets podcast. I'll tell you one statement that isn't controversial, though. Built Bar is the best-tasting protein bar on the market, and it's the new year, so that means New Year's resolutions. If yours is about getting fit or eating healthier, make sure you include Built Bar in your plan. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, and Built Bar makes it easier to stick to your resolution because it tastes so good you'll want to eat it. You want to eat healthy, but it just gets so boring. Typically, by like week three, you're thinking, this is just not worth it. Where's my chocolate? Well, Built Bars are covered in 100% real chocolate, and most bars contain 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. Compare that to a candy bar, which usually has around 240 calories, 30 grams of sugar, and dozens of net carbs. Go to Built.com and use promo code LOCKED15. You'll get 15% off your order. Again, it's promo code LOCKED15, one word with no space, L-O-C-K-E-D, number one, number five, for 15% off at Built. B-U-I-L-T dot com. Thank you for making Locked On Jets your first listen every day. Today we are recapping Tampa Bay's 28-24 victory over the Jets yesterday at the Meadowlands. Now, I think most people would look back on the Jets' final drive as maybe the key sequence of the game. In particular, the fourth and two play they ran from the Tampa Bay 7-yard line with just over two minutes left in the fourth quarter. The Jets were up 24-20 at the time. They passed up the opportunity to kick a field goal to go up seven. And Robert Sala and Mike LaFleur have received a lot of criticism in the aftermath of the decision to go for it. The Jets got stopped. They were only up by four, and Tom Brady put together a 93-yard drive. 
Now, all I can do is judge this based on what I thought at the time. And at, at the time, I wanted the Jets to go for it because they were two yards away from ending the game. They pick up a first down there, the game's over because the clock goes down to the two-minute warning. Tampa Bay's out of timeouts. The Jets take the knee. At the time, I was thinking, though, you know what, I could kind of see the argument either way. But the more I've thought about this since the game ended, I really don't understand the argument people are making that the Jets should have kicked the field goal from a couple of standpoints. First of all, if you're saying that, you're essentially saying that you trust the Jets' defense, the Jets' defense, the 32nd-ranked defense at the NFL, to stop Tom Brady with the game on the line. And yes, I know they played pretty decently up to that point, but come on, this is the Jets' defense versus Tom Brady. You trust that defense. This is what you're saying. You're saying you trust the Jets' defense. Why didn't the Jets put the, give the Jets' defense a chance to stop Tom Brady with the game on the line? Why didn't they trust? I mean, think that one through for a second. That doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, look at what happened. Brady ended up going 93 yards against this defense you wanted to trust. This defense you're outraged the Jets did not put on the field to decide the game. They ended up on the field anyway and got torched. This is the defense you wanted to trust. You've watched this defense all year long. And you said, these these are the guys I want to go up against Tom Brady with the game on the line. Come on. The more I think this through, I really feel like people are criticizing the result more than the, the decision. Sometimes you can make a good decision and it just doesn't work out. Additionally, was it not one week ago where everybody was saying... Ron Middleton was aggressive. Why is Salah never going for it on fourth downs like Ron Middleton? Everybody loved how Ron Middleton took chances. Now you're going to criticize Salah for rolling the dice a little bit? I mean, let's look at the situation here. Would you rather have Tom Brady needing 93 yards to win the game or Tom Brady needing, let's say, 75 yards or so to tie the game? Again, against the Jets' defense. And that's if you get stopped. If you, get, if you pick up the first down, the game's over. You don't have to put the Jets' defense on the field. Yes, I understand that going 93 yards wins the game versus 75 yards tying the game. And by the way, that might not even be true because the Bucks probably go for the win if they score a touchdown down seven points. I mean, they went for two when they were up two. It makes much more sense for Tampa Bay to go for two if they're down one to try and win the game rather than kick an extra point to send the game to overtime. So I mean, if you're going to go for two when you're up, to, and, and maybe again, the fear of, of a blocked extra point came into Arian's decision-making, but... If you're going to go for two when you're up two, odds are you're going to go for two when you're down one. So I don't even know that a field goal necessarily preserves the tie for the Jets because there's a pretty good chance Tampa Bay is going for two in the win in that situation. But really, uh, thinking this through, I, I don't think that there's a very good argument that the Jets should have kicked the field goal there. I, I really don't. And I, again, I, I think sometimes what happens is coaches get praised when what they do works out and they get criticized when it doesn't work out. Sometimes a good decision doesn't work. Sometimes a bad decision does work. I thought that it was a good decision. I thought it was the right decision. Now, the second criticism is the play call. And I have to be honest with you. I was right there with you as I was watching the game because the Jets ran what looked like a quarterback sneak on fourth and two. Then we found out a little bit more in the post-game press conference that apparently it was supposed to be a jet sweep to Braxton Berrios, which is a play call that I love in a short yardage situation because... Typically what happens is the offense has a very tight formation. You know, the defense is loading guys up in the middle, anticipating an inside run. And essentially, if you run a jet sweep, you get the ball to a guy who's already at full speed, who's fast, who can get around the corner away from everybody, run away from everybody. I'm sure it would have worked. You know, watching the replay, it looked like it was going to work. It looked like the Jets had it set up really well. However, the play call also had an option for Zach Wilson built in. If he saw a clear pathway to pick up the first down, he had the option to just keep it and 
you know, dive forward. And Wilson, I don't know what he saw, because I caught the replay angle that showed you where the gaps were. There were no gaps for Wilson to pick up two yards. I almost feel like Wilson lost track of the yardage he needed. It, it kind of felt like Wilson was acting like he was fourth or inch, fourth and inches or fourth and one, not fourth and two. It was a bad read for Wilson. Now, does that mean it was a bad play? Well, again, I mean, do you like the idea of the jet sweep on fourth and short? I do. Maybe you don't. If you don't, that's fair. I think it's a good play call. Do you like the idea of building in the option for the quarterback? I mean, to me, that seems like an obvious thing you do. You go back to the 2010 AFC Championship game. The Jets had a, not exactly the same situation, but a similar situation on the goal line against the Pittsburgh Steelers. And there was a play where the Steelers had two defensive linemen in the game, and the Jets had a pass called. They were on the one-yard line. And the Jets also had Ladanian Tomlinson in the game, who was the king of leaping over the goal line for a touchdown. And they kept they stayed in the pass play. And at the time, I had no idea why Mark Sanchez did not change the play. I don't think he had the authority to do it. And Brian Schottenheimer, the then offensive coordinator, was criticized heavily for not giving Sanchez, or at least I criticized him heavily for not giving Sanchez that opportunity to change the plays. And I think rightly so. Because if you see something obvious, you've got to give your quarterback the authority to change the plays. Listen, Zach Wilson's got to see whether he has a gap or not. That's not on the coaching staff as far as I'm concerned. I thought it was a good play call. Again, sometimes I think the coaches get criticized just because the execution is not good enough. To me, the issues here were 100% on execution. I thought the decision was right. I thought the play call was right. The Jets just did not execute it well enough. Wilson just made a bad read. It was unfortunate, but just because something unfortunate happens does not necessarily mean the coaching staff failed. So I'm defending the coaching staff on this. I don't think they did anything wrong. Again, I think Wilson just made the wrong read. However, that was really the only thing Zach Wilson did wrong. I was very encouraged by the way he played on Sunday. And we'll close out the show by talking about Zach's day against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers ahead here on the Locked On Jets podcast. Flashed his upside against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And now I want to tell you about Get Upside, an incredible app everybody who buys gas needs to know about. My listeners are making up to 25 cents for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. Just download the free GetUpside app in the App Store or Google Play right now and use promo code TOUCHDOWN to get a bonus $0.25 per gallon on your first fill-up. That's $0.50 cash back. Don't pay full price at the pump anymore. Get cash back using GetUpside. Just download the app for free and use promo code TOUCHDOWN to get up to $0.50 per gallon cash back on your first tank. Some people who drive a lot are making as much as two or $300 a month in cash back. And there's no catch. The cash back gets added right to your account. You can cash out anytime to your bank account, PayPal, or an e-gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free GetUpside app and use promo code TOUCHDOWN. Again, it's the free GetUpside app, promo code TOUCHDOWN. This is the Locked On Jets podcast on this Monday, recapping Tampa Bay's 28-24 victory over the Jets yesterday at the Meadowlands. There was one clear silver lining for the Jets in this game, and no, it's not draft positioning. In fact, this game was the difference between the Jets owning the number four pick and the number six pick. And a difference that small shows you how ridiculous rooting for tanking really is. I mean, what's the expected difference between the fourth pick and the sixth pick? Very little. Shows you the absurdity of the situation. The silver lining was Zach Wilson played really well. In fact, in my view, this was Zach Wilson's best game in the NFL. It was not as spectacular as the overtime win against Tennessee, but this was the first time it felt to me like Wilson was really comfortable within the pocket, where he was really in control, in command of the system, where he felt comfortable against the opposing defense, and he did it with an offense that, frankly, was full of backups and practice squad players. 
that was even more impressive because I expressed skepticism near the end of last week that he'd be able to make it work with this crew that the Jets were surrounding him with in this game. And he made it work. He looked really good. He was authoritative. He was decisive making reads. You know, one other thing that I loved? He was not bailing on the pocket as his first option. He was doing it as a last resort. He was staying in the pocket. And yes, if there was pressure, he would buy himself some time by moving out. That's different from what he was doing earlier in the season when he was kind of just bailing as his first option. If nothing was there, instead of trying to force a ball into danger, he threw it away. And he made some incredible throws. I mean, this was the BYU Zach Wilson. This was the, t- this was the player the Jets thought they were getting second overall. He was not afraid to zip it into tight windows. There's a difference between being aggressive and being reckless. And too many times this season, Zach Wilson's been reckless. In this game, he was calculated. And he and that arm, I mean, he fit some balls into tight windows that are tough to believe. This was the type of game I needed. This was the type of game we needed to see. Because if you look at the whole of Zach Wilson's rookie season, there's not a lot to love. There have not been many moments where he's looked like the future of this franchise. And I don't think we're going to look back on this rookie season as a success. So if you're not going to look back on the rookie season as a success, you at least want some moments, some things you can point to, some things you can look back on and say, you know what, if he can do that on a consistent basis, maybe he did not do it frequently, but we saw it. And if he can do that, if he can channel that and grow into a quarterback who plays like that on a consistent basis, now we've got something. This was the first time all season long where it felt like Zach Wilson showed an ability to make big-time throws from the pocket. And that's what matters. And, you know, I see some people criticizing Wilson for the fourth down play. Listen, he made a bad read on that play. That was on him. But to me, that's not the type of play that defines him in this game. Very much for the same reason that I did not think his rushing performance last weekend against Jacksonville was that significant. Because Zach Wilson for the Jets, if he's going to succeed, it's going to happen from the pocket. So last week, even though I thought you know he played reasonably well, it was not the type of game that you really build on all that much because he's not going to be the guy, kind of guy who runs for 90 yards consistently. Good performance, but not the type of thing that gave me a ton of hope going forward. And in this game, okay, fine, bad read on the fourth down play, but he's not going to have his success as an NFL quarterback determined by how well he reads the gaps on quarterback sneaks. It's going to be determined by how well he reads defenses from the pocket, and he did that very well in this game against Tampa Bay, against a defense that has a lot of talent, a defense with a very good coordinator in Todd Bowles. And he did it without much talent surrounding him on offense. Again, a bunch of backups in this game. This was impressive. This was the type of game that gives me hope going forward. It was the first time that Zach Wilson looked really good. I know the interceptions have been down recently, but the offense has not been very productive. He had this offense moving in this game. This was a winning quarterback performance. This was the first time where I felt like I looked out on that field and I saw an NFL passer, and that's very encouraging to me, and hopefully he can build on that in the season finale against Buffalo. But that's all for our show today. Thank you for listening. This has been the Locked On Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. As always, if you enjoy the show, subscribe to it and leave it a good review. Have a great Monday, everybody. We'll be back tomorrow to talk more Jets.